4: My mission is simple to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. would be want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. It's my job not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put things like this in context. Call me at 1 800 743 CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What's the fine print? After the day where the president reached what he's calling a substantial phase one trade deal with China, allowing the averages to explode higher, Dow surging 320 points, S&P leaping 1.09%, NASDAQ pulling 1.34%. We need to know the deets before we can finally stop worrying. And that's how we can't really do this job until we stop worrying. At the moment, we still don't know much. We're getting some substantial agricultural purchases, some intellectual property safeguards in exchange for a pause in the tariff rollout, including a suspension of next week's planned tariff increases. I don't know. I mean, Some mumbo jumbo about not calling them a currency manipulator. Wow, it was really shaky. Uh, that, so that's why it, was, it wasn't enough for the market. It was hoping for something a little less preliminary. Investors also wanted some leniency for Huawei, the big Chinese telco company, but Huawei wasn't part of the deal. So stocks pulled back dramatically in the last half hour of trading, with the semiconductors leading the way down. They had been explosively higher almost all the session. Without a Huawei deal, owners of the semis, among other techs, rationalized that maybe the deal is just a sop to farmers. The president says we are nearing an end to the trade war. I will believe it when I see an end to the joint ventures that suck the life out of our companies and abandon stealing our intellectual property, among other particulars, including the end of flooding our country with fentanyl. Hopefully, though, as we learn more, we'll be able to focus on earnings season next week through the lens of sales and profits rather than just tariffs and trade restrictions. Other than continued uh, negotiations with China, what's the game plan for next week? Monday, seemingly quiet day, remnant from the years when the stock market still closed for Columbus Day. Oh, I love those days. But we should hear more about a possible breakthrough in Brexit negotiations, an upside surprise for most of the session. At this point, any deal is going to be treated as good news because it will finally put an end to the cloud of uncertainty that has been hanging over Europe literally for years now. Tuesday, we start hearing from the major banks. Important day. Uh, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, each has its own story. I bet J.P. Morgan will talk about healthy loan demand, corporate finance supremacy, fortress balance sheet that just might allow for uh, discussion about a dividend boost. Citigroup will be explaining its trading revenue stream, probably disappointing, versus the annuity stream, not disappointing at all. The latter is actually why people like the stock. That, and it sells at around book value. We want to know how much stock Citi's bought back. Hopefully, they'll light return for more capital to shareholders. They are buying back a huge amount. Goldman, my alma mater. I expect them to tell a good story about solid earnings from mergers and IPOs. No longer that episodic trading stuff, but the thing I am most interested in is Apple. Goldman's behind the Apple credit card, even though, of course, the ad says Apple, not a bank. Well, the bank that's involved with servicing it is Goldman. How much money is it brought in? What's it worth to the franchise? I'm betting the news will be good, and it could boost the value of the entire enterprise. As for Wells Fargo, the new CEO, Charlie Scharf, who comes from Visa and Bank of New York, Mellon, now has an opportunity to lay out his vision for the future. Although, given that he just was appointed, I don't know if we can expect any major revelations. A lot of people believe Charlie will be spending a lot more on technology so that he can cut overhead dramatically. I don't know if he's ready to play his hands just yet, but that's what I'm betting. I think the stock's very intriguing. I think the stock's worth buying. Now, the banks had a monster move today, which makes them harder to recommend going to the earnings. Uh, The pattern here is that we tend to get profit-taking after the initial excitement for a number that comes out, a headline number gets people juiced, and then the stock sells off. I do not expect anything different from this, from this, from this, or this. Although this one, again, which my Chapel Trust does not own, but is very intriguing, is the one that I think that people are going to start saying, you know what, the worst is over. We also get results from two key healthcare companies, companies, Health and Johnson & Johnson. Now, last time UNH reported, the numbers were good, but it didn't matter because everyone was worried about Senator Elizabeth Warren, who's running on platform, a platform of single payer that would effectively put companies like UNH out of business. This time, Wall Street's still worried about Medicare for all. But yesterday, UNH was hit by a big downgrade. It Knocked the stock from two twenty two to two seventeen. It's a little in, in earlier before market trading was around two fifteen. The stock has since come all the way back. I'm thinking that maybe that's saying that it's got a solid floor. JJ is no longer an earnings story at all, and it should be, it should be. It's got a fabulous pipeline. It's got great sales. Got great management. But it's become a legal story. There are huge lawsuits over carcinogens and the t- talc. There's opioids, harmful side effects from Risperdal. That's a big anti-psychotic, stock, uh, antipsychotic drug that they've had for years. We own J&J for the charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining Plus.com club. And i got to tell you, it's become pretty discouraging for my trust. I'm starting to worry there's just no end to the headline risk or the real risk of gigantic losses from these lawsuits. But investors took heart just today when Bernstein, a fabulous research firm, published a piece arguing the losses will be contained and the stock has already baked in these negatives. I am not so sure. I expect there would be more losses, and I'm not happy with our position in j and J. I I know that there's a restructuring with Purdue coming up and opioids. It's just so much risk. But if Bernstein is right, and the worst may be behind us, give or take, uh, I'd say, five uh, points, you know, it can go down to 127 maybe, I don't know. It did jump two bucks on the upgrade from Bernstein. I thought there was some relief in the stock, but maybe I'm kidding myself. Also on Tuesday, we got an important analyst meeting from Workday. And this company we've had on many times, it's the cloud based payroll software play. The whole cloud cohort exploded higher today, in part because SAP reported a terrific quarter, 38% growth rate in its cloud business. There have been some concerns lately that the migration to the cloud has been slowing, something we hear every time these stocks sell off. SP made it very clear that's not the case. While Workday roared today off the SAP, I bet you this thing's not done. I think it has more room to run. I would buy it ahead of this analyst meeting business is very strong. Wednesday we hear from Bank of America, which has reported two great quarters in a row, and each time the stock did absolutely nothing. I'm sure there'll be a lot of hand-wringing about how much money can be made with this ugly inverted yield curve, although it got a little better than it did three weeks ago. I I think that Bank of America can earn plenty of money. Still, this stock seemingly has been stuck in the high 20s, low 30s for ages. Really much more, like, say, 30 and change, 29, 30, 29, 30. It drives me crazy. And we're still waiting for big institutional investors to get behind it. I bet Bank of America could break out of this trading range if J.P. Morgan ports a good number the day before. Uh, that is the best analog. If they're good, this one. If this is good, look for this one to be good. This sends it up. That goes up. That's the linkage between the two. Now, IBM reports after the close. We need to know what Red Hat's doing Uh, Remember, they bought Red Hat recently. Without specifics, the stock will continue to languish. And then the most controversial stock is Netflix. It's a stock that's become difficult to define. If you own Netflix, you're making a leap of faith that management can still say it welcomes more competition rather than being hurt by all these new direct-to-consumer over-the-top opportunities. Now, the mantra the whole time of this company is, the more the merrier. But management misjudged their new signups last quarter, the key metric for Netflix, and it gutted the stock. If they deliver a better-than-expected sign-up number, the stock could rally 50 points. I don't know if they can do it, though. Thursday, we start hearing from the big industrials and the big transports, starting with Honeywell and Union Pacific. Honeywell's been on a tear. It's one of the best performers of the group. Its aerospace business has been a standout. I start worrying, could Boeing be hurt it? Union Pacific is a great tell if you're trying to gauge our commerce with China. Their trains take goods uh, from California to the east. It's always been a reliable way to oh, gauge oh, oh, China exposure. They also have coal, oil, and auto exposure, though. <laughs> They're all tough industries. Could be a very challenging quarter. Morgan Stanley, the stock ran today, too, so be careful. Morgan Stanley sells it uh, around nine times earnings. This is a premier Financial franchise. It's been a consistent earner. That's too low. I think you can buy this stock ahead, maybe on uh, Monday or Tuesday, of when they report numbers, because I expect a good quarter. Friday, I'm looking for excellent results from Coca-Cola and the Market Express. Coca-Cola's all about plain old good blocking and tackling by management. PepsiCo told us they're taking share. Could Coca-Cola rebut them? Maybe. I think they'll try. As for American Express, I bet the stock will react positively. It's one of my favorites. It's also the one that's the best tell for whether uh, China's serious, because China should let American Express come in without a partner. That would be the key. That's what we want to see. That and the idea that Mellanox will will be able to be bought by NVIDIA, which is something that was held up and looks like it might be still held up. Finally, there's Schlumberger. We used to call it Slob, SLB, the oiled service giant. You know that this one was one that used to give us consistent upside surprises, but those days are long gone. We still own Schlumberger from a charitable trust, part of the diversity in my attempt to be able to diversify. Uh, I'll be talking about it at my ActionLunchPlus.com conference uh, call next week. And I'm going to be talking about how we sold some for a loss. We should have sold it all. Bottom line. With this latest news on trade today, next week uh, was, is still going to be about China, but not as much, I think. A trade deal, even phase one or two or three, of, of two or three phases, means we can finally focus on the substance of earnings. And I like that. I'm expecting many of these quarters could be better than expected, certainly better than the media is co- constantly harping on. could be a good week as long as Washington doesn't get in the way. Kathy in New Jersey. Kathy!
1: Hey,
0: Kramer. Yeah! I've been an avid Peloton owner and writer for the past five years and feel really strongly about the company and where it's going. Of course, the moment the IPO went public, I bought quite a few shares, which I sold the following
4: day after I watched your show and heard what you had to say. Right. Jim, I'd like to know when you think it's a good time for me to buy Peloton back. See, I think Peloton's part of a class of equities, uh, IPO class that has been basically discredited, and uh, Peloton's got a lot of people who did not like you, did unlike you flip it, and I feel like that what's happened is is that you got a real bad shareholder base. I am not anxious to recommend the stock. There are many companies that have sold off during this period that are much better, including uh, a bank like a Wells Fargo or a Goldman Sachs, and I like those and just picking those because they report next week, but. I can't, I cannot recommend Peloton. All right, if Washington doesn't get in the way, we could be actually talking about stocks and their earnings. And I think that would drive stocks higher. But I know that's a tall ass, particularly if we get the five print on China. Man, money tonight. Wendy's has served up a 20% gain in the past year as it cooks up a plan to add breakfast to uh, to the menu. And just that boosted its dividend by 20%. Is this stock just heating up? I'm going to talk to the CEO after it's Investor Day. You know that's a Kramer favorite. Then looking for a secular story that can work regardless of how your trade talks go? I'll tell you why it may be time to tee up with the golf stocks. And you've probably seen one of this company's products in your dermatologist's office, and you might not even know it's what it is. I'll reveal it. And boy, is it interesting, even compelling in uh, tonight's homework section. So stay with Kramer. Roughly a month ago, Kramer fave Wendy's announced plans to roll out a nationwide breakfast offering starting the next year. And the stock immediately got crushed. It plunged 10 percent a single session. Hey, you know what? I thought it was a good idea. But Wall Street seemed to believe the breakfast business is too competitive, too cutthroat. At least that was the consensus until today. When Wendy's held a big investor meeting and changed the entire narrative, allowing the stock to run up, management told a terrific story talking about system wide sales growth, the high end of its three to four percent guidance for the year, along with new expansion into Europe over the next 12 to 18 months. And the possibility of plant-based burgers, you know how much we love those. They told us breakfast could eventually grow to a 10% of total sales. And they gave us some extremely bullish long-term forecasts through 2024 and a dividend boost. So could the stock have more to run? And you know we've been hiding it the whole way. Let's take a closer look with Todd Penninger. He is the president and CEO of Wendy's. Get a better sense of how this company's doing where it's headed. Todd, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Always a pleasure to be on, Jim. Thank you.
4: Well, it's always a pleasure to have you, Todd, because you deliver, you deliver, you deliver. When the, you announced Breakfast, I was so excited. Big new day part, hiring a huge number of people, and the stock market is so short sighted; they didn't like it. But you, you uh, really quelled those uh, any of those fears today, didn't you?
2: Yeah, we're really focused on the long term, Jim. Breakfast, as you know, has been a growing day part for many, many years, and. You know, we have a great offering, you know, a breakfast baconator that is an unbelievably great food item. You know, a honey butter chicken biscuit, uh, breakfast potatoes and a frostuccino. We have a menu that can compete, uh, a low investment uh, and a high return model for our franchise community. So we're leveraging all our existing equipment uh, and we're going to bring it to life in a big way in 2020.
4: Tell me about how many people you're going to hire and how you're going to find them.
2: Yeah, so we got to hire about 20,000 people. So what we really did is made sure that we had a very efficient labor model in our restaurant. So two people to uh, open the restaurant. Once uh, we opened the restaurant, we had a third. So it's a three-person labor model. So we got to go out and hire 20,000 people. It seems like a big number, but when you think about it as three per restaurant, uh, it's not going to be that hard. It's a great day part to staff. Um, It's very convenient for folks to come in in the morning uh, and be done by lunchtime. Uh, So we feel good about our employment proposition to bring folks in and create a great experience for them.
4: I think it's great that that your company is hiring so many people. Okay, so you follow us on social media, and you know every time we tweet it, that my my wife just loves the Baconator. It is out of sync with what we see so many of the so-called millennial tastes about plant-based, and yet it's loved. What's going on that something that clearly may not be known for saying weight loss is so loved at
2: Wendy's? at the end of the day it's all about taste and people love great tasting food and we talk about it in our terms food i love and that's what people want you know you put bacon on just about anything folks love it and we do sell a ton of bacon across our restaurant and we really wanted to make sure as we went into the breakfast day part that we could leverage our iconic baconator brand so when you think about six uh, strips of smoked applewood bacon you know with uh, with fresh cracked eggs and a nice hollandaise sauce you know all bundled on uh, on our everyday premium bun What a great offering to really drive uh, great taste uh, and great value for the money. Of
4: the major uh, quick service, I think you're clearly the leader in social. Uh, What is it about the brand that resonates so much with social and what's it done for your company?
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really been about having that uh, tongue in cheek and, you know, we're we're comfortable making fun of ourselves, but we're really comfortable calling out the com- competition uh, when they're not living up to the quality that we believe that they're really delivering in their restaurants, because we're proud of Wendy's. Quality is our recipe. We continue to deliver quality day in and day out, uh, and we are connecting to that next generation of consumer through uh, social media having a lot of fun doing it, and it is driving folks into our restaurant. You know, when Chance the Rapper tweeted that he would love to have his spicy nuggets back, you know, we challenged him to see how many likes he could get. We said, you get two million likes, uh, we will bring spicy nuggets back. He did that, we brought spicy nuggets back, and immediately, and you see that in our third quarter results, from day one, even before we turned on national advertising, people showed up in our restaurants to buy those spicy chicken nuggets because they wanted them back, and they learned about it through social.
4: Well, I think that's incredible. You, you, look, people love your fresh food. It's just different. Now, uh, you, uh, how are you doing in, in terms of uh, you've got that throughput? Uh, I know you're making a lot of digital initiatives. And the DoorDash deal, these are uh, incrementally positive that people misread?
2: Yeah, no, there's a, there's a ton of good things happening, Jim. We're still working on speed. So speed and, and, and convenience uh, and really driving consistency of operations are kind of core themes on kind of the basics. Uh, you know, you think about how you can continue to drive speed. You know, the digital journey is a big one. How do we drive folks into mobile ordering? How do we drive awareness on, uh, on, on mobile ordering? You know, what we do see is when folks mobile order, the check size is about 20% higher. So, those are just great opportunities to continue to connect to that next generation of consumer and create a better experience and gather even more data to connect with them into the future. And delivery continues to be a great growth engine for us. You know, we've got over 85% of the system supported by delivery. We announced today that we will have uh, all of our ordering integrated on delivery into our uh, point of sale system. That'll allow us to get the food to the customers even faster. We're one of the fastest today, 30 minutes from the time you order to the time you get the food. Now that it's going to be integrated into our POS. We can probably shave another three to five minutes, and it could open us up to use other delivery providers beyond just DoorDash, which will be another great opportunity to expand access to our brand.
4: Well, to, speaking of expansion, you did talk a lot about overseas. Uh, I've always thought that Wendy's Travel, so to speak, that it's a great brand name and it's fresh and that a lot of the other guys are already over there. They do not represent the freshness. They do represent, let's say, the speed. Uh, uh, do you think you can replicate
2: Oh absolutely, I, I, we talked a lot today about our brand and, and really doing fast food done right. And fast food done right can resonate across the globe. And fresh is what a consumer is really looking for, is a true point of differentiation. We talked about uh, making a move into Europe over the next 12 to 18 months and really starting uh, in the UK uh, and really front running some of that with, uh, with company restaurants. We talked about up to 20 company restaurants over the next couple of years. We'll bring franchisees in to, to play that out in, uh, in, uh, in the UK. But it will create a beachhead for us to really start to drive some growth into all of Europe. It's a big burger eating uh, uh, area of the of the world. Uh, the category has been growing and we have the right to play and can be differentiated on fresh. Two other things that I've
4: got to get before we leave. a uh, uh, Nice dividend boost, 20 uh, percent uh, uh, dividend rate increase. And then you did mention plant based. What are we thinking plant based?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, it was nice to announce the 20% dividend increase with the cash we had on the balance sheet and announced that uh, we we're going to complete our uh, $225 million share repurchase authorization right. by uh, executing $100 million ASR. You know, on plant-based, uh, we've talked about this probably four years ago, Jim, and we were way ahead of the curve when we right. had a black bean burger that we were working on. Unfortunately, at the time, it was operationally complex and it took additional equipment in the restaurant today we figured out how to solve for that so we're looking for that flexitarian customer we're trying to do it the wendy's way we're trying to do it with wendy's quality whether you're a flexitarian or a vegetarian the black bean burger can solve for that uh, and we have that in test in one market now. And we're looking to bring that to market sometime during the course of 2020.
4: I remember when you introduced it, I had it. I thought it was absolutely delicious. And what I really liked about it, to tell you the truth, is that it wasn't like a faux burger. You're not trying to have something that's not a burger that you think tastes like a burger. It just had a really good taste. And I think that, again, in line with Wendy's, what you want is an alternative. I like this What flexitarian. Is that, a, was that another that of those millennial terms? I'm just too old to know it.
2: It is one of those millennial terms, and folks are looking to uh, you know have a lot of beef, but uh, and and you know traditional proteins, but also uh, flip into uh, more vegetable and, and other proteins. We're, we're real, fresh, never frozen North American beef. So we are about having great quality food. And we always want to do things the Wendy's way. And we think a black bean burger, uh, something that's natural in a square uh, to make sure that it follows uh, along the lines of our square hamburgers, is a great fit for our brand. And, uh, and we'll allow folks to continue to come into our restaurant to drive frequency. We talked a lot today about frequency. Our average customer comes to a Wendy's five and a half times a year. Uh, we have a huge opportunity to drive frequency, whether it's the offerings like a plant based burger, whether it's entering breakfast or driving our digital journey going forward.
4: Well, I guess we're not average. We're about 10 times a year. Uh, and we always say <laughs> we always say it when we're there, because we're just so excited. I don't know why we just think it's such a treat. I want to thank Todd Pendergore, president and CEO of Wendy's. What a great company. Thank you so much for being on Mad Money.
2: I always appreciate the time, Jim. Thanks for Thank it. you.
4: All right, guys, we started liking the stock at four. All right. At $4. And uh, here we go. It's, uh, I think it's headed to the 30s. Todd Penagore, President and CEO of Wendy's Sticker Paper.
0: This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is a second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does and she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs that's why the younger you are the more you need AARP learn more at aarp.org/skills this podcast is supported by FedEx dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do that's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery
4: Hey, we had a fantastic run today, uh, and that's thanks to some positive signs that China might be willing to make some sort of trade deal. This phase one, phase two thing, I, we'll find out on Monday. But I think this market still requires a degree of caution. Maybe the Chinese changed their minds over the weekend and we go right back down. I mean, maybe there's not an ag buy. There is an ag buy. I don't know. We don't know. I mean, what a just a total guessing game. Market went down big uh, when we first heard that it's just some you know, phase one, phase two. That's what we have to hunt. For secular growth stories, it can work regardless of what substantial progress we've made and what phase one or phase two really is. Which brings me to the golf stocks. Yep, for the last three years, golf's been making an incredible comeback, and that's why I keep pounding the table on this theme. Thanks to the rise of interactive driving ranges like Top Golf, which all of my friends love. They love to go Top Golf birthdays, things like that. The younger generation is now taking an interest in what used to be a pretty sedate sport. These chains use technology to turn something that used to be slow and boring, at least to me. driving range isn't exactly where you go for excitement. And it's something that's really a lot faster and more competitive. Uh, It's fun. Now, six months ago, I recommended Acushnitz Holdings and Callaway Golf again. They're now up roughly 12 and 21% respectively. During a period, the S&P is up just uh, less than 3%. Acushnitz, the parent company of two major golf brands, you may have heard of, Titleist for Equipment. Uh, and, and foot, foot Joy for cleats and apparel. Callaway makes everything from equipment to apparel, and it also owns a minority stake in, yes, the red-hot Top Golf. Now, the last time I checked in on these guys, I thought that like was a safer bet. Callaway was more risky. Turns out that I, I got it backwards. Over the past six months, the Kushnet supported a couple of noticeably bad quarters. Disappointed May, and then they did it again in September. Companies had some serious self-inflicted wounds, like production problems with their new putter. They also got more organic challenges, you know, kind of you can see, chase it out here, like tough comparisons to Japan, rainy weather in the United States. People play less golf when it rains. That's something I learned when I was doing the research. Although I should point out total rounds played were basically flat in June and July, even though we had a lot of unreasonable, unseasonable rain this summer. What's amazing about a Kushnet is that these disappointments haven't done much at all to derail the stock. Look at this winner, okay? Management has maintained their full year organic sales and earnings forecast, so it's hanging in there. That's what matters. When you maintain your forecast, people don't get too upset when you miss a little bit. Uh, it's up 12% since the last time you highlighted it in April. Now, I you and me a culpa here though. Well, Kushnets made you money if you bought it on my recommendation, and it's outperformed the average. It way underperformed Callaway. I mistakenly thought that a cushion that was the better bet. Still, even after some not-so-hot performance, uh, I'm optimistic about the next quarter. we finally got a sustained period of dry weather, good for golf, and they should be able to get their production issues back on track. On the other hand, though, even though I recommended Callaway, I told you it was the riskier way to play the golf industry. No, I was wrong. Callaway remains awesome. I should never have flipped my rankings in April. It was a mistake. Particularly because, look at this, huh? What a chance that was, but you know, we, got, we liked it here. Um, we've liked this for a long time. What can I tell you? It really is just a huge winner. The problem? In February, the company gave us some disappointing four-year guidance. I should have had more faith in management, because it happens they were really just kind of pulling some classic U-Pod, which is, we know is under promise and over Since then, Callaway's reported two terrific beat and raised quarters in a row. They knocked it out of the park in May, and they did it again in August. Companies have some strong product launches. Their golf balls are selling like hotcakes, and management's been very good about maintaining tight control over their expenses, even when the broader golf industry stagnates, like it did in the second quarter. Callaway's core golf business keeps growing. Epic Drivers, Chrome Soft Golf Balls, Travis Matthew Apparel—they're all very strong. And management has now raised its full-year forecast back to where it was when they uh, when it wanted to be uh, when they gave uh, seemingly light guidance in February. The other worry with Callaway involved the company's acquisition of Jack Wolfskin. That's the German maker of outdoor apparel and equipment, not to mention sports gear. Callaway closed this deal in the beginning of January. And just a couple months later, they cut their sales forecast for the brand, thanks to weaker-than-expected pre-bookings for the fall and winter season. But over the summer, Callaway's management spoke to Randy Connick, the analyst who covers the stock for Jeffries, and they painted a pretty positive picture they point out that Wall Street tends to underestimate Jack Wolfskin because it's a global brand with relatively limited US exposure. Wall Street's just not familiar with it. Plus, Callaway has a terrific track record when it comes to integrating acquisitions. Two years ago, they bought Travis Matthew, the golf of power business, and it's now one of their hottest brands. Fast forward to August, when the company reported its most recent quarter. And Jack Wolfskins turns out to be on fire. 14% growth thanks to some incredible strength from its online business. Oh, and Callaway's planning a broader North American launch for sometime in the second half of next year. I thought the brand was a negative. It turns out to be a major positive. Most importantly for Callaway, though, we in June learned that JANA Jana Partners, that's J-A-N-A, JANA Partners, the big activist hedge fund, had taken a 9.5% stake in the company. The guys at JANA believe Callaway's stock is too cheap. And they want the company to either put itself up for sale or divest some business in order to unlock value. I think this company's been extremely well run, but I can't complain about an activist coming in and lighting a fire under management, especially when that activist firm is a totally heavy hitter like Jana. You know, and that's this last bit of part I think is really Jana. Sure enough, in August, Callaway raises buyback. And then earlier this week, we learned that Topgolf might be planning to come public next year. Finally, an IPO that I might want. Topgolf's the major interactive driving range change, and Callaway owns 14% of the business. There's a widespread sense that they don't get enough credit for this investment. Callaway trades at $20 and change, and their Topgolf stake might be worth as much as $3 to $4 per share. If Topgolf comes public, and here's the only, you know, I always say just say no to IPOs. I might change my mind about this one. It's got to see the numbers, of course. Callaway can ring the register in the position, but even if they don't sell it, I'm betting the stock will more fully reflect the value of this terrific asset. Once Topgolf has its own valuation, well, analysts can just plug in some of the parts model, SOTP, SOTP as we call it. So here we have a fabulous company with great fundamentals, a huge potential catalyst, and activist hedge fund pushing for even more value creation. But the best thing about Callaway is that even after the stock's monster run, up 10% since the Topgolf IPO story Brooklyn Tuesday, the stock still sells for just 16 times next year's earnings estimate, cheaper than the average stock. Finally, there are also some plenty of ancillary uh, golf players. Nike's got a good golf business. It's been very strong. I think it's absolutely worth sticking with. You know I like the stock in Nike, even up here, okay? Uh, and then, especially, we're experiencing a real thaw with China, of course. It would be even better for Nike. Comcast, the parent company of this network, also happens to own the Golf Channel, which has been very creative about monetizing their viewer base. They've got a subscription streaming service and an online store for all things golf. Comcast stock has been on fire since the transformed acquisition, transformable acquisition of Sky Die. that's that giant British broadcaster. But please don't forget this one: EPR Properties. It's a real estate investment trust focused on entertainment, recreation, and education assets, including yes, 35 Top Golf facilities. That's roughly 12% of the total portfolio. That's how I know about Top Golf. EPR has been an excellent performer over the last 18 months, and even here, despite the fact the stocks run 5.8% yield. You want yield? You want income? EPR, bottom line, when you find a powerful secular trend that just keeps working, you gotta stick with it. Golf is working. And that's why you gotta stick with Callaway and even a Kushnet. Although if you have to pick one, after what I've said, it's Callaway. And don't forget, if you want yield, I suggest you go with EPR. Stick with Kramer. When I tell you this is the most interactive show on television, I'm not just suffering from delusions of grandeur, although that's uh, probably part of it. But I also make it my business to answer your questions every night. Whenever one of you stumps me with a question, I, I can't answer. I, I always do the research and come back with you with a more considered response. because our, our viewers are so smart, I get a lot of great ideas. Uh, like this one, uh, October 1st, Dominic in California. He asked about a company called InMode, I-N-M-D. This one sounded so cool, but I had to do some digging. InMode is a little medical device company with a nearly $800 million market cap. They make minimally invasive energy-based systems that are used for face and body contouring, medical aesthetics, and women's health. Their technology allows them to use radio waves to penetrate under your skin. You can effectively remodel your fat tissue. Wouldn't that be terrific? Basically, InMode can give you the equivalent of a facelift or or a liposuction without the need for invasive surgery. The idea here is that you can get the same results while spending less time in the hospital, experiencing fewer complications for certain lip. You know, listen, lip is always something that uh, a lot of my friends actually have tried. And to me, it seems scary. As a general theme, I love betting on vanity. People want to look good, especially in the Instagram era, where everyone's constantly carrying around a high-definition phone camera. Have you seen the ones with the three cameras? Oh my God! You got to look really unbelievable. I mean, when I went to the ball game, I had to like I was like, "Where's my makeup person?" However, even with a good theme, you need to pay attention to the particulars of the company in question. For instance, Align Technology. Remember the makers of Invisalign braces? What a fabulous theme! For years, the stock was a huge winner. It's a perfect Instagram selfie stock. But then Invisalign went on a patent. A new companies started rolling out competing products, and Align stock has become with unbelievable
3: the house of pain. So how
4: about the specifics? Okay, Inmo came public in early August, right before the IPO market started falling apart. But the deal wasn't particularly hot. It priced at the low end of the range, fourteen, and then started trading at $13.50. I love these kinds of deals. Nobody cares. You can get as much stock as you want. It's got a good theme. And get this, within a week, the stock caught fire, surging to $29 a month ago before pulling back to 24 and change as of today. Unlike most members of the IPO class of 2019, which I'm really beginning to hate, InModes got both rapid revenue growth and actual earnings. Last year, the company grew at an 87% clip, although it slowed to 55% in the last quarter. I wouldn't be surprised if they can reaccelerate that growth So they launching a bunch of new products this year for getting rid of cellulite. Oh, please. Body, skin tightening, and face and neck tightening. And unfortunately, I need all of those. Maybe I have to stop eating spam. Meanwhile, in most profitability, well, let me just say, it's on the rise. The company reported its first quarter as a public company just days after the IPO, and the numbers were excellent. On top of that 55% revenue growth, their gross margin, that's what they make after the cost of goods sold, came in at 87%, up from 84% a year ago. People love it when gross margins are going higher. It means there's not a lot of competition. That income more than doubled year over year. And balance sheet's pristine. i got to tell you, call me intrigued. I mean, I think this in-mode could be worth buying, albeit, look, look, let's call it speculation because it's so small. Now, many companies are both rapidly growing and profitable. We had a lot of companies come public this year, and they're rapidly growing, but they're anything but profitable. Plus, I like that they came public with a bunch of positive catalysts on the horizon in the form of these product launches, and they were ready to report a great quarter right out of the gate, even though no one really paid much attention to it, and it went went to a discount. Best of all, in-modes pulled back 5 bucks from its highs last month. At these levels, it's selling for just 15 times next year's earnings estimates. I've never heard of a company with 55% revenue growth selling for 15 times earnings. It's unspeakably cheap. Compare that to something like Intuitive Surgical, uh, ISRG, which makes high-tech surgical systems as the Da Vinci thing. Trades at 38 times earnings, despite having a much slower growth rate. What's the hesitation? All right. I, it said I don't know that much about the actual technology, which is why I'd love to hear from these guys. I want them to come on the show. And, yes, fellow vanity-driven uh, folks, uh, I want to use the product. Still, in, maybe even on the show, no. but not on the show. Still, in most stock, is too enticing to ignore. So I'm going to give you my blessing. Uh, Speculate Thank you, Dominic, but also thank you so many other callers who keep asking about this one. I hope that sates you for now. Okay. Next up on October 2nd, Joe in New York asking about another little guy, BioLife Solutions, BLFS. Sounds like a radio channel. Um, this is an even smaller, uh, more speculative medical equipment company. Less than, this is three, tiny 300 million. Okay, that's a very small company. I want to mention that before I say anything else because these ultra-small cap stocks, they're very volatile. What does BioLife do? They're in the storage business. Specifically, they make what are known as biopreservation tools. If you want to, say, store cells, tissues, or even organs, BioLife makes sterile containers filled with solutions needed to keep everything healthy at extremely cold temperatures. For the clinical research uh, people who need this stuff, Biolife's containers allow you to get a much longer shelf life out of your samples. That's really the hook. How about the financials? First six months of the year, the company grew sales at thirty nine percent clip. Gross margins expanded sixty eight to seventy one. Earnings came in slightly positive. Another speculative play that's turning a profit. Now this stock has been on a wild ride. Biolife crashed down to nine bucks during the big sell off late last year. Ultimately rallied back to twenty one at its highest last month. That's uh, thanks to the market downdraft. It's now back to uh, fifteen change. I can see the appeal here. Bioleft facilitates the transportation of cells, tissues, and organs. Their products are essential to red-hot areas like gene therapy. So it's sort of like a less risky way to play an extremely hit or miss group. There's just one problem. stock has been incredibly volatile because this, it's such a small company. I like the story here. I, I don't want to take my life in the hands to recommend a tiny $300, billion, $300 million company. Now, $300 million, I mean, you, you get one big buyer, you got to understand it goes up too. But if you get a big seller, it could go down too. You need an extra level of conviction if you're going to speculate in something that's this small. And when, I, when it comes to BioLife, I just don't have that level of conviction. If you really want something similar, I'm a big fan of Thermo Fisher, TMO. I, I, I like Danaher very much, which just bounced back really hard this week. I want to thank you again, callers, for bringing great ideas to my attention, especially ones that are not in the crosshairs of stage one, trade ones, whatever, China negotiations. Because it gets pretty maddening after a while. Mad money is back at the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round. It's over. I'm going to say And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skid. It's time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Chris and a while. Chris. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How are you, Chris? I'm great. Thank you. Um, Long time watcher, first time caller. Okay. Uh, thank you for all your sage advice. All right. Um, I'm calling about the Israeli pharmaceutical company, Tabla Pharmaceutical. We We don't like Tableau on this show. We're were right about 30 points, maybe maybe 50 points. And we're keeping our mantra don't own Tableau. Let's go to Ann in New Hampshire. Ann!
1: Yes, Mr. Kramer, I am buying stock for my great granddaughter. Should I add MGM to her account?
4: Yes, because that is an incredibly well run Ah. Run, run company. And they have ambitions for gambling and sports that I think are spectacular! Betsy, California. Betsy! Hey, Jimmy. Yo. Jimmy, I'm calling you
0: on a stock that everybody is going to screw up because they're going to think it's an apparel stock. Well, I got news for you, Jimmy. With 539 pairs of electrical hazard boots, which we need in California, God knows, 722 pairs of steel-toed boots, which you can have to wear on construction sites. Boot Barn is already up over 100%. In-
4: All right. Well, here's what I say. Yes, Booth Barn is still a buy. I like the stock very much, and I think you should uh, just buy, buy, buy. own it. And then if it comes in, then I think you should buy it because I like the stock. It's a good one. Let's take one from Charlie in Pennsylvania. Charlie. Jim. Okay, I'll take that. I'm a big fan of you and your old partner, Larry Legend, and your newer partners, King Davis. On your advice and on my homework, I bought Pyridine. 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 It's a really good stock. It's an up stock. It's semiconductor test. I like semi test and I like what he has to say. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the
2: Lightning
3: Round. The Lightning Round. Is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
4: For months, I've been skeptical about the trade negotiations, even though we clearly had the upper hand. I figured the U.S. and China were too far apart on these issues, so both sides would try to hold out until something changed the equation. Then today we learned that Trump administration's reached a preliminary deal with the Chinese that takes next week as planned tariff hikes off the table. So how the heck did that happen? If you take and take and take, once you simply stop taking, it's a big deal. I think that's been Trump's strategy all along. In the last few months, he's added multiple schedules of tariffs that were set to go higher automatically. He made these ever-increasing import duties the new normal. He's also placed restrictions on visas for anyone connected with China's human rights abuses. He stopped key components from going to one of the world's largest telco companies, crushing the leadership in 5G wireless. What else? Trump's put on onerous sanctions on Costco, COSCO, the largest shipping company. Very important. After years of expansion, blessed by other presidents, Trump is encouraging American companies to stop building new factories there, and it's working. His tariffs have forced our businesses to change their supply chains. They've basically had to cut China out of the picture as fast as possible to face ruinous tariffs. Last but not least, he's hinted at the possibility of capital constraints, making it harder for Chinese companies to raise money. Money here in the US. You know what? It's been a relentless and kind of uncovered assault. Maybe China would have been able to handle the, t- the trade war on its own, but they've also had to deal with these seemingly endless protests in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong situation makes the Communist Party look weak, look bad, lose face, but there's no way to handle it that doesn't make them look even worse. When you are worried about an NBA general manager of not real consequential, uh, let's say, standing, Tweeting that he favors freedom of action in Hong Kong, you are not the paragon of virtue and growth that almost always fawning media says you are. 40 to $50 billion agricultural buys, they've now become the ante for more concessions, not the be-all and end-all. Not what the trade talks are about anymore. And they almost never seem to materialize, even as the Chinese need them out of, of the country, need, need them from out country, regardless of uh, the concession, the uh, concessions. They need our ag business with or without. Now, even though China's unfair trade practices hurt every country they do business with, especially Europe, none of those countries decided to join our trade war. I get it. China's the EU's largest trade partner, so confronting the Chinese government has much higher stakes for them. But every time the Communist Party does something appalling, it gives the Europeans one more reason to form a coalition against the People's Republic. In other words, if they crack down on Hong Kong too aggressively, they may end up with a trade war on multiple fronts. That's why every weekend the party's resolve seems to weaken. When China's brought in the army to crush the Tiananmen Square protest 30 years ago, the country was much more isolated. They had very little to lose from bad publicity, and that is no longer the case. So whether you love president, president Trump or you hate him, he has the definitive upper hand here. Unlike the NBA or Apple, own it, don't trade it, by the way, as it just hit an all-time high, Trump doesn't care about losing access to the lucrative Chinese market. That's why he was able to win some important concessions, agricultural purchases, intellectual property protections, in exchange simply for not ratcheting up the tariff torture. It's why we got this preliminary deal. Unlike virtually everyone else in the media, I've told you all along, we can hurt the Chinese economy a lot more than they can hurt our economy. I think they finally realized they can't afford to keep taking these hits, and it's cheaper to just give Trump what he wants. In other words, hate him or like him, this strategy is working. Stick with Craig. In return for absolutely nothing, Trump's getting a lot. I don't know. It seems positive to me. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here and Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.